0: Hello, you're joining me for episode 238 of the Blended Family Podcast. And today, as promised, I've got a great guest for you, which is going to be Jen Lumenlin. And I told you a few weeks ago, she was supposed to be here. And she's going to be talking about interest-based learning. You know, it's funny, when I first moved to Florida from New York... Back there, there really wasn't very much homeschooling back then at all, partially because it's New York and partially, I guess, due to the times. But I had not really ever known anybody growing up that was homeschooled. And then when I got to Florida, I saw that there were so many more families that were doing it. And I really don't have an opinion about it either way. I can be honest with you and tell you that... Had I had it to do all over again, I don't know, maybe I would have done some things differently. My kids always went to public school and that was always right for us based on the times. And now, you know, there are so many things changing right now. And because of what's been going on because of the virus, people are left with different situations this year that regular options just might not be viable, right? So some of the reasons people might wanna homeschool Maybe your blended family has some challenges. Maybe you've moved and maybe one parent is in a district and the other parent is in a different district of school. And that could be one reason why parents might decide to do something like homeschool. Sometimes parents can't agree on what to do. Other times kids have certain anxieties. And you know, just today we were talking to a client who she's going to put her kids back in school and she really wants to but she knows that she doesn't wanna do it yet because she's waiting to see kind of what's going to happen, right? When the schools open up and she said she really doesn't want her kids to be guinea pigs based on what the new rules or challenges are going to be and then if there was another shutdown, she didn't wanna have to be faced with that. And then other parents of course are, some are working from home and they find that they just might want a different solution. And so whatever your family is going through, I want you to listen to this episode today and see maybe it's something unique and different that you haven't heard before. And again, I'm not telling anybody what to do. You know, we just heard from Dr. Carol Lieberman a few weeks ago and she says the kids and she's a psychiatrist. And she says, you know, the kids have to get back to school. And so I'm not here to tell you one way or the other what you need to do. I'm here to bring you the necessary information so that you can make the best decision that you need to make for your family and I don't know what that is for you but I really like my guest today I like what she's bringing to the table it's just a different a different take on even homeschooling right because when we think of homeschooling we think of online learning and this is she's got some different approaches and she does have a program as well and I want to let you know that I am going to be an affiliate for her program because I really do believe in what she's doing but for right now I am taking my entire commission and I'm really passing it on to you guys so uh, at least for this first 30 days I want to give everyone an opportunity if you want to be a part of this you know, and if, it's, if it seems like it's right for you and your kids, uh, if you use the promo code BLENDED, all in capital letters, you will get actually 20% off, okay? So if you enroll in the next 30 days from when this episode comes out, you're going to get 20% off using the promo code BLENDED. And if you're hearing this after that time and you still want to purchase, yes, you can still use the promo code BLENDED. That way, at least she knows where you're coming from. And I'm going to be rolling out some different affiliates and things and ads over the next few weeks. And it's probably gonna be an ongoing thing because it's just going to help me by supporting who I support. It really helps us keep the show going, of course, because I don't get paid to do this and I really, really wanna keep it going for you, but it does cost me some money. So uh, anytime you wanna support Uh, one of my sponsors, it would be greatly appreciated. Of course, only if you believe in them, and I think you should know by now that I really don't have anybody on that I don't believe would be good for my audience because I care so much about you guys. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Next week, we've got an attorney, Jacqueline Newman, joining us, and she's going to be talking about the five ways that COVID will have an unprecedented effect on divorce moving forward. So there's some really good stuff in that interview. And then keep in mind, I know I mentioned that my sound is going to be getting better. And you probably haven't heard that much yet in these interviews. But that's because all of the interviews that are still coming out were recorded before I started with my new sound program. So therefore, you're just hearing old stuff right now. So I promise moving forward, I think I've got maybe about 10 more that were pre-recorded, And then after that, you're gonna start hopefully hearing an improvement. And again, that's just on the interviews. I just don't like the way those compressed files sound, but hopefully it's not too much of a challenge for you guys to listen. And I think that's really all I've got for you today. I really want you to enjoy this. Don't forget, if you like Jen Lumenlin, the code is blended to receive 20% off and we're going to get right to that interview right after a quick word from this week's sponsor.
1: Divorce is never easy, and when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky, especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called Fair. F A Y R. Fair is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. Fair helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, exchange days and never forget those special events. Documentable text messaging and an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in, that's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient time and date stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. B-F-A-Y-R, FAIR. Subscribe at BeFair.com. That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com. And then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details.
0: And don't forget to use the promo code BLENDING to receive your special discount. I've got a great guest for you today. Jen Lumenlan holds an MS in psychology and an MED and is the host of Your Parenting Mojo podcast, which is a reference guide for parents of toddlers and preschoolers based on scientific researchers and the principles of respectful parenting. In each issue, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. She lives in California with her husband and daughter. I'm so excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show, Jen.
2: Thanks, Melissa. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, this is, we have quite a lot to talk about today. And as I just told you before we started recording, I'm so happy to have you here today to tackle some of these issues that we're going to talk about, which have to do with school and the coronavirus and homeschooling and everything. So but before we get to all that juicy stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, So I have a six-year-old daughter and I never wanted to be a parent. um never had the mothering instinct just never thought I was it was going to be for me and eventually realized that um while my husband wasn't going to pressure me into doing this that I didn't want to be responsible for the biggest disappointment in his life and so ended up making the choice to get pregnant and uh spent way too much time on my birth plan (laughs) and way not enough time thinking about what might happen after the baby was born I just figured I had 18 years to figure that out. And then kind of muddled through the, the early months fine. And then when she starts moving around more, I realized I needed a whole different set of skills. I had no idea where to look. And I'm seeing sort of scientific research that comes through baby center saying, I you know five ways to see if your child has a developmental disability and stuff like that. And And it would link to one research article and you would have no way of knowing whether that research article was completely out out of left field or was kind of represented the body of research on a topic. And I just thought, okay, I need more information than this. (laughs) And so um, I went back to school, got a master's in psychology and really started the podcast as a way of sharing what I was learning with other people.
0: Wow. Well, I think that's really amazing. And I know, they I wish that they came with an instruction manual, these kids, <laughs> and it is so hard, right? Because we don't know, and we're hearing advice from parents and from well-meaning friends, and nobody really knows. And, and to be honest, I don't think anybody really always knows how to handle your own child except for you. And mm-hmm. it's difficult in a blended family because... Many times we have lots of different personalities and people from other homes with completely different sets of traditions and standards (laughs) and things and come together. And then we have a situation what's upon us right now with the coronavirus, which nobody anticipated. And then we really don't know what to do because we already didn't have rules before. And now now it's (laughs) completely, I mean, and we can all see, right, with the way the adults are acting in the world. The adults don't even know how to act. How do we really expect our children? So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I'm very excited to tackle some of these topics today. So let's get into it first with, uh, let's talk about the whole school issue because when, so I don't know, I'm in Florida. Where in the world
2: are you at? California.
0: California. That's right. I said that in the, so California is still closed down. Am I correct? And you guys are- Yeah, pretty much- till did you say six months?
2: Uh, yeah the schools are certainly reopening online only for the first part of the semester and we'll see what happens later on.
0: Okay so and over here we are still unsure they haven't given us the exact they said that the school is opening in August but we don't know if it's going to be a hybrid we don't know if they're going to go for two days a week or all the days they might rotate the kids in and out and so I think it's for a lot of people is just very unsure right now of how they're mm-hmm. going to forward with things and depending on the numbers. But I want to talk to you about what's already transpired because what we've all gone through has been very difficult for many of us trying to be now the teachers as well as the parents and the providers of a household. Now we have to stop and teach. So, and I want to kind of tackle this from some different angles because everybody's had a different situation happen. And I know that there have been some schools when they did the online schooling, there have been some with instruction. I can tell you that my children's school was not offering any instruction. So what Mm -hmm. they had to do was log in every day and they would log into a stack of work from every single teacher. (laughs) There was no instruction on what to do or how to do it. And the child that I'm talking about that had a difficult time is my, my youngest, who happens to be 16 and she ended up failing. You know, that's what ended up happening because she just doesn't learn that way. She doesn't learn with no instruction. So from your expert opinion and the work that you do, Jen, I want to know what have you seen as far as like, have you seen many difference of standards going across the board when it comes to this?
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's different everywhere because... <laughs> Because everybody's trying to figure it out all at the same time. I'm actually surprised to hear about your your experience. I had heard that Florida had invested in online learning a few years ago and was actually selling its online learning model to other states. So I'm I'm surprised they don't have it rolled out entirely within Florida yet.
0: Yeah, well, I guess for the online people, maybe they had it better, but for the teachers that were used to going in every day, none of them had been trained on it. Right. It was just a lot of confusion for everybody. And so I want to kind of talk about the children and how this has affected them. We'll talk about the parents a little bit later on, but from, and I don't care what the curriculum might've been where your students go to school in general, it is very difficult because you're taking these students that are used to being in a public setting where they're having their friends and their normal structure and routine that kids need. And now they've got everything all over the place. And so let's talk first about the difficulty of learning when there is no instruction or, I guess, no accountability. So can you speak to that a little bit?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... (laughs) I mean, ultimately, the underlying issue here is that when we when we have children in schools and we're teaching them based on a curriculum that somebody in a classroom, sorry, in a in a conference room (laughs) somewhere five years ago decided, you know, this is the thing that all children should learn. And and we standardize it across um, all the children in a state or even. In the country, if you're, if you're looking at Common Core, um, you're, you're basically setting up a learning environment in which the students aren't interested in what they're learning. Um, because if we think about how you learn, how I learn, how we all learn, we're, we all learn best when we're learning something that we're interested in. So, um, so maybe when you started podcasting, you, um, you didn't know how to run the software, you did some research online, you, you learned just the amount that you needed to know to be able to start your podcast. You maybe started it and you learned a little bit about editing and you ran into a roadblock and you thought, oh, I need to know more about editing. Let me go and look up this thing that I'm struggling with. I need to know how to, to delete in a certain way. You, so you search deleting and no, that's not the kind of deleting I want. I only wanted to do this part and then, okay, oh, that's the piece I want. And then you, apply that to your uh, to what you're learning and so we we all learn best when the thing that we are learning is directly relevant and applicable to something in our lives and curriculum based learning takes that away and says it doesn't matter what you're interested in Uh, we're going to teach you the things you need to know and that works okay in schools um because the structure is there the teacher is there to keep everybody on track and the students are there and if everybody else is doing it too and you're all kind of moving through the same stuff at the same time then that just kind of keeps the whole thing moving forward i mean you see it as early as preschool where um you know on the first day everybody comes in there's no (laughs) rhythm there's no routine and within a week or two all the kids are napping on schedule (laughs) no matter what nap schedule they came in with, the teachers at the end of that couple of weeks, they have them all napping on the same schedule. And so when we remove that, when we take the children out of that environment and we take all that structure away, we take all the peer pressure away, then guess who's left? The parents left. (laughs) The parent suddenly has to be the one that provides that structure and provides that sort of enforcement to make learning happen that previously we hadn't been responsible for. And so that's the reason why we're having a hard time in the first place, because we're realizing, oh, yeah, children actually aren't interested in learning this stuff, but, but we're telling them they have to learn it anyway. And because the structures that used to be there to support them in moving through this process anyway are no longer here, I, the parent, now have to step in and do that instead.
0: Wow. Yeah. And it's so, I have to just tell you really quick, a a short story about my son, because when he was in school, he hated school and he used to always say, I'm just not interested in learning Mm -hmm. about this stuff. And so we used to get very discouraged, but I tell you what, he's 21 now and he actually sits in his room and he studies things that he wants to study. So like he'll study about archeology span or indigenous cultures, things that he actually likes and he gets so much more out of it. So it's just so interesting what you just said. And I, I noticed it with a lot of my kids. They all ha- tell me the same thing, like, mom, I'm not, when am I ever going to need some of these things in my life? And sadly, it's true because unfortunately, they do spend a lot of time teaching them about things that are inconsequential. And the other thing I found that in, to add to that was what they were sending home, some of the assignments that they were sending And again, I can only speak for myself and my daughter and her school, but it was almost in excess. It was an excess amount of work and some of it had nothing to do with the core, the core themes of what she needed to know. And so at that point we got very frustrated and we said, are they just sending busy work? Because she actually had more work than when she had, when she was present in school, even with her homework. So yeah. we found that very surprising, but again, she may have had, you know, her experience was through her own lens and her own perception. And I have to be honest, not everybody had as difficult a time, but it's like you said, not everybody
2: learns the same way. So I know yeah. there are- And I, th- I think just to speak to what you were you were saying, I, I think, I mean, everybody was scrambling in the spring semester, right? Nobody saw this coming um nobody had any idea what to do there were some parents who didn't even have internet access and were saying how can you expect us to do anything with our children and then there are some parents who are often affluent who are often white who are saying you know give me everything challenge my child make sure my child isn't going to fall behind and so the teachers are kind of caught in the middle and and i was seeing a lot of them online saying um, you know, we just threw everything to to keep the parents who were asking for it happy, and we didn't actually expect everybody to do very much of it. And so, parents, I think, really felt caught in the middle of this. You know, some parents felt as though there was way too much work coming home, and other parents felt as though there was nothing there and no support at all. And and I think what teachers are hoping is that they're able, they've been able over the summer to spend some time putting some different and hopefully better structures in place, so that next semester maybe doesn't look like the, the spring semester did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now that everybody's kind of prepared and they know what to expect. And so what would be your recommendation if you do have a child that's at home learning? And we know that parents work and many of them, uh, by the way, we have a cleaning business as well. And so we're in and out of homes. And I see how many parents are trying to work from home right now while the kids Mm -hmm. are running around the house and we're cleaning and the vacuum's running. And so it is so hard for so many parents right now. So how? because parents have to work and we have to pay attention to the things that we do so we can keep the roof over the head. Mm -hmm. How can we keep kids to stay on task and motivate them without us needing to feel like we have to be on top of
2: them all day because they just won't do it? (laughs) Are you getting into the money question now, aren't you? (laughs) Um, So I think there's uh, it really depends by age um, because no no single strategy is going to be appropriate for all ages and And most of the people who follow my work have children who are a bit younger and um and so what we're finding there is that when when you think about it, the actual amount of time that children spend uh, learning in school in basically throughout elementary school. I mean okay let's try this as a quiz how much time do you think the 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 child average child spends learning in elementary school in a day
0: i'm going to say not a lot because i'm assuming we've got recess we've got circle times we've got the hallways we've got activity time so i'm going to say maybe 2 hours a day
2: uh cut it in half <laughs> really an hour, yeah. an hour? Yeah. By, by the time you cut out, yes, all of that stuff. I mean, even all the stuff that happens on an annual basis, the school play, the, the two weeks of rehearsal that goes into the school play, the last day of school where nobody does anything, you know, the handing out letters and stuff to go home at the end of the day, getting settled after coming in from recess and lunch, getting ready to go out to recess and lunch. Um, the random time spent daydreaming, <laughs> because nobody can focus for for an entire hour at a time. And when you when you whittle all that stuff down, you're looking at about an hour a day. So uh, in a way, this represents an enormous opportunity for parents of younger children to say, "We don't actually have to do very much to be doing the same amount of work as my child would be doing in school." And so I think that can that can take an enormous amount of pressure off parents. Um, And on the other side of that, it creates a different kind of problem because now the parents are saying, "Okay, well, I I can find an hour in a day to support my child's learning. What are they going to do the rest of the time? (laughs) (laughs) And so um, there's some really useful tools that you can use when you work with younger children. Um, It's called understanding your child's schema. It's spelled S-C-H-E-M-A. And a schema is a pattern of repeated behavior. And um, I'll send you a link to a blog post that I have on this topic. And it helps parents to understand what kind of schema their child is in at the moment. And I think what parents were doing at the beginning of the pandemic was there were all these lists of 100 things to do with your child to keep your child busy or, you know, not to do with your child, but just to keep your child busy. And parents are thinking, "Okay, I've got 100 things. I'm going to be all right. And then when it came down to it, anything they proposed on the list, their kid would just say no, or they would spend the parent would spend half an hour setting it up, and then the kid would say no. And so, what's missing there is this understanding of the child's schema, because when you understand what the child is interested in doing on a regular basis. For example, one of them might be positioning things. Some children will spend hours lining up little toys on the carpet. And if you have a child that's in this positioning schema, and you propose an activity that's related to positioning, all of a sudden you just bought yourself two hours of uninterrupted work time. And so um, if you can spend a few minutes observing your child and understanding what schema they're in, then you can open up all kinds of opportunities for uh, activities that will engage them and support their learning and also buys uninterrupted time for you.
0: Wow. Yes. And of course, I imagine it also depends on the ages of the kids. If you've got ones, you know, you have to develop different activities than you do for older kids. I'm sure for older kids. We need to limit the technology. So um, let's jump to that for a minute because we sure. talk about some of the social issues that kids are developing by, I, I know there's a lot, uh, this is a hard topic because people have very strong opinions either way, right? It's like <laughs> vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask, school or homeschool. It's just a very strong opinion for everybody. Um, and I I don't know what the right answer is for you, just as you don't know what the right answer is for me, but I do know that it is unhealthy for children to not get out of the home and to not have any social skills um, and to not just be around other people and definitely to have the structure and the routine. And so I wanna talk about the social thing for a minute. Do you, what do you think about that? Do you think it's a problem for children to not be out. And I know we, listen, there's a virus right now, so I know it's not like we can completely help it, but how do you feel about that when it comes to kids and a lack of social activity?
2: I think to some extent it depends on the needs of a child. Um, to, to speak at a broad level, um, <laughs> the, the idea that we would put all children who are a certain age from our you know village or or the area where we live who are lacking social skills you know when when they're young and even as they're growing up they're still learning social skills so we we put all the people with not so much in the way of social skills we put them all together in one age cohort and say okay go learn social skills I mean that that idea in the history of human evolution is uh, a pretty novel and radical one (laughs) So the idea that children can only learn social skills from being around other children um, is is not supported by the research literature. Um, children are very well able to learn social skills from other family members. They're learning social skills from you all the time all day that they're around you they're learning this stuff from you. Um, they can learn it from siblings, they can learn it from neighbors they can learn it from anyone else that they happen to be in contact with. So um, so I don't think that we're doing our children a disservice uh, to their social skills by, um, by I mean, prohibiting them or keep keeping them apart from their friends for this period of time when it's important for health reasons. That said, there are some children who are very extroverted and who need a lot of contact with other people. And especially when the parent is introverted and, and gets their energy by being alone <laughs> and finds being around an extroverted child to be very draining. Um, and, and so there are definitely those kinds of circumstances where maybe we do want to expand our, our social distancing bubble by a few people. Um, if we can be reasonably sure that they are just expanding into our bubble and not further out, and that that could provide some outlet for that child to get energy from people and also provide an opportunity for um, for the parents to to be able to have some alone time too. So that's, that's kind of what the research says on the social skills side. And I'm happy to speak to the technology aspect of what as well, if you'd like.
0: Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute. I just okay. want to do one more thing about uh, because there is a flip side to that there is mm-hmm. a flip side to having the kids' home that I've noticed in my own family I've noticed that anxiety has gone down actually mm-hmm. uh, by them being home, and that has a lot to do with it's just a hard time to be a teenager right now so i'm I'm speaking of teenagers, not of the young ones, but a lot of teenagers it's sometimes it's difficult going to school it puts a lot of pressure on them they feel a lot of anxiety around it, so there is that I have noticed that that's gone down and Um, also, I feel that kids get into sometimes a little bit less trouble when they are not so much around their peer group, depending on who their peer group is. Some kids choose wonderful friends and some kids don't always choose the best friends. And so, but we all know that peer group has a large influence on the children. And I found that separating the kids from that for even, even for just a short period of time, like it was that month, that you know or two months it was really very beneficial i felt and they still have their technology so they're still able to contact their friends through social media and the things that they do but i just wanted to mention that you know it does go both ways and i have noticed an improvement in some of those issues but go ahead and speak about the technology piece
2: well i I mean before we get to that just to piggyback off what you just said um it it uh speaks to a a amazing book by gordon neufeld and a Boromete called uh, "Hold on to Your Kids." And I'll send you a link to it so you can put it in your show notes. It's basically the idea that, um, I mean, building on what I said about how uh, children can learn social skills from adults, their their book is basically the premise that we want our children to learn social skills from us. And that by having us be one of the primary influences on their lives in this period, uh, that can have enormous benefits for them. And I think that that's what you're seeing in some ways in that reduction of anxiety is that you are becoming a greater influence over them than than their peers are right now. Um, that's not to say that uh, some children aren't experiencing more anxiety in this period, particularly when home life is unstable or um they don't have access to the tools they need for learning, or if the parent is experiencing a lot of anxiety, that can make it very difficult for the children who pick up on that um so so there are definitely cases where uh some parents are seeing anxiety levels increase, but yeah it's it's definitely not universal and and some parents definitely are seeing it decrease as well,
0: yeah, and I think there's more parents that are able to spend some more time at home now. I know me, for instance, uh, we had a whole month at home with the kids that I never get. We work normally from morning till I go to bed. We hardly ever really have downtime or family time or dinner time with the family. And so we took advantage of that. And I know that a lot of other parents are. And as frustrating and difficult as it is to maybe not have a break, It's also very rewarding because somewhere along the line, we did break away from the traditional family unit and started to just have two chaotic lifestyles to really, we, I mean, we broke away from all of it, from family dinners, Um, it's the whole school setting has gotten to be, um, like you said, they're just so wrapped up in their peer group and everything else, they're just not getting influence at home. So I love that you said that. So go ahead and let's talk about technology and its effect. and also what I'd like you to speak on too is um, how because I know when you said there's too much time in their hands, what are they going to do with it? Most kids you do just turn to the technology that's that's their go-to that's what they like. That's almost all they want to do these days. And again, speaking of the older kids, if you have young elementary school kids, you might be dealing with tablet time uh, as opposed to cell phone time, but you're still dealing with technology issues. And tell me what you think about that. And also, it's difficult because sometimes that's the only way to get that time that we need. So talk about that Mm -hmm. a little bit.
2: Yeah. So (laughs) you're right that um, even the research on this is is sort of difficult. And and extrapolating that into policies that will work for individual families is difficult. And so it's difficult to make any blanket statements. starting from the very youngest ages, you know, we know that the Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics recommends no screen time for children under 18 months. It used to be two years, but they were realizing parents weren't doing it. So, you know, may as well just do what parents are doing. Um, Over over two years, I think they're recommending no more than an hour a day. And then um, I'm not sure where the actual uh, sort of I assume as a cutoff around middle school where it's sort of a, you know, discouraging screen time, but not um, recommending a certain amount of time per day. So um, I, when I think about screen time, I often actually relate it back to the research on getting children to eat vegetables, <laughs> which sounds like a non sequitur, but actually there's a lot there that's relevant. And so what we know about getting children to eat vegetables is that when parents... Um, say to their children, okay, when you when you finish your vegetables and your dinner, you can have dessert. Um, we're, we're using the vegetables and the dinner as what's called a gateway food. You have to eat the gateway food to be able to get the dessert. And what we know about that is that when we, uh, when we do that, we make them like the gateway food less. So they're liking vegetables less and they're liking dessert more. And the only predictor of the amount of vegetables that children eat is how much they like vegetables so we might actually you know I, I don't like to think of parenting in terms of battles but but in to put this in in that term you're winning the battle right now if you're if you're getting your child to eat the vegetables um, but you're losing the war because you're not and you're not getting them to like vegetables anymore and the only thing that's going to get you to a point where you don't have to nag your child to stop eating or to, to eat their vegetables is if they like vegetables so if we apply this to screen time you know maybe we use screen time as a reward we might say well well, when you've done an hour's worth of schoolwork or when you finish this assignment you can use your screen time what that's doing is it's setting up the similar dynamic so the the children um, learn to associate schoolwork with drudgery with something that has to be gotten through to get to the dessert to get to the the screen time at the other end and it's going to make them like uh, their schoolwork less and and want more screen time so we we know that when we put limits on things, um, we want them more. I mean, many of us grew up with limits around uh, the amount of, of sugary or fatty foods that we could eat. Um, I know I certainly had a lot of limits on that, and now I have an incredible sweet tooth <laughs> and have to actively restrain myself from, from eating things that have too much sugar in. And so, what we, what we ideally want to work towards is an environment where the children are able to moderate their own usage of screen time and say, you know what, I, I, it's important to me today that I learn how to do this video editing procedure that I need to do for a class or for this project that I'm really interested in. Today, I'm going to spend most of my time on screens. Maybe tomorrow, there's something else that I want to do that isn't related to that. And maybe I'm not going to be spending any time on screens. And so we want our children to get to this place where they are able to use screens and even to enjoy screens um, without sort of, feeling as though I'm not going to use the word addicted because that has very specific clinical connotation, but without feeling as though um, that they really, really, really want to use screens all the time. And so I think the process that that our children can go through to make that happen is is going to be different for every child. Um, but what has happened in our house is that uh, you know we we basically trust our daughter to eat um, the the amount of food that that she feels is right for her. So I'm not going to cook her a different meal. She's going to eat the same thing I eat. But when she says she's done. You know, I I just accept that. I don't say, "Are you sure you've done? Are you sure you've had enough? Can you just eat one more spoonful of vegetables?" Um, she has complete control over that. She also controls her bedtime. So we do a bedtime routine at a certain time at eight o'clock, and after that, if she's not tired, she's welcome to stay up for as long as she likes. And she's she announces to us when she is ready for bed, and she's been doing that since she was about three or three and a half. And so we decided the next stage was to allow her some control over her uh, her, her screen media. Um, and in part, that was to keep my sanity because I was sick and tired of being the gatekeeper <laughs> of being, that, oh, can I watch another hour of this or can I do that? Um, I just didn't want to be in that position. And since she was already uh, controlling these other aspects of her life, we decided, okay, we're going to give this a shot. We're going to give it a month and you may watch as much screen time as you want to watch in that month and by the end of the month what we're hoping and we actually we had this conversation with her we said we're hoping that by the end of the month you're going to be spending some time watching screens and we're glad you enjoy that and you're also going to be doing other things as well And so we're one week into this experiment, and she has watched uh, TV or played video games for, I would say, the vast majority of her waking hours. Um, I mean, from from the time she gets up to dinner time, and then we cut it off after that. And just today, um, uh, seven days in, after lunch, she went outside and started playing in the garden. And I thought, ah, oh, <laughs> something's shifting here. And so um what we're doing is we're we're turning into something that I don't have to be that gatekeeper for anymore. And she because she knows that she can have it when she wants it, it's not a gateway food. Um it, it's always there for her when she needs it. And now she can say, Okay, I can relax about this now. I can watch it when I want to. Right now I want to go in the garden and play, so I'm gonna do that instead.
0: I really, really love that method I it's too late for me but (laughs) I wish that I knew that a long time ago because I probably would have saved myself a lot of aggravation
2: it's possible it's possible
0: (laughs) we all know right from wrong most of us I should say we all know right from wrong and so it's really nice that you um, are letting your daughter try to learn those things for herself because the only way we really learn the right thing is by doing the wrong thing And learning that it doesn't make us feel good. And then we shift. And instead of being told that you have to shift, she's actually learning this on her own. And that's amazing. And I really wish, like, where were you 10 years ago?
2: (laughs) Well, I didn't have a kid and I wouldn't have been in a position to tell you anything about it.
0: (laughs) Well, that all of everything that you said was so, so valuable. And I hope the listeners got a lot out of that as far as... um, you know how to help your children through this process. But we're not done yet. I, I want to talk about a few more things with you, because as we are ramping up to open up the schools again, and some people are very unsure. They don't know, do I really want to send my child back to school? Because maybe they were experiencing some of those better shifts of having a child with the less anxiety, and maybe they were doing really well in their work, and maybe got off to a great pace because they didn't have all the distraction. Then I have other parents that are like, I gotta get these kids out of the house. I'm gonna lose my mind. And for and for many reasons, right? They're working, they're trying to do things. So it's a divide. So how do you have any tips like to really help us decide what is the right thing for our child? Like, I mean, I guess we should go based on the child's performance, but what, what can you speak on to that? How to help us maybe make a decision? It's a very difficult decision, actually, for many of us. Yeah,
2: yeah. And there's so many individual factors to weigh that... Um... It's really, really hard, again, to make any kind of blanket recommendations. Um, I know a lot of parents are considering homeschooling for the first time. And uh, in, a, in a way that, I mean, this, the conversation on homeschooling has completely changed <laughs> in the last six months. Um, it, it, this time last year, homeschooling was mostly something that kind of weird people did. It wasn't something that an, a normal parent would consider doing. And and just in, in the last six months, that has completely shifted and all of a sudden, um the a a large proportion of parents are thinking about homeschooling for the first time and so uh if you are seeing that um that your what the the learning systems that your school district is putting in place for the autumn semester, if these have been announced yet, are similar to the ones that you experienced in the spring semester and you're already knowing that those didn't work for your child and are not going to work for your child again, then you may decide that taking your child out of the school system is going to be the best decision for your child in this period and so I actually have a a course to help parents figure that out that decision Um, is homeschooling the right decision for our family and it walks you through all the different aspects of it and you know we 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 skimmed sort of lightly over the issue of curriculum and it's possible to buy a curriculum that you can implement at home and of course then you find yourself in exactly the same position (laughs) as you were in in the spring um, when you are the enforcer of making sure that curriculum gets followed and okay if we're not going to do that what are we going to do and and the alternatives of interest-led learning and unschooling which are terms your your listeners may have heard in the last few months that they hadn't heard previously um, so that that's one potential approach is to say okay well um, we're, we're going to pull our child out of the school system Another kind of hybrid approach is to form uh, what's been called over, I mean, basically just the last week when we're recording this, it's probably going to be a month or so uh, old by the time you release this episode, but the idea of pandemic pods. And so this really exploded on Facebook, uh, basically last weekend. And then uh, I've seen a lot of news articles that are picking up on it as well. And the idea of a pandemic pod is um, to work in some way that's probably between homeschooling and only working with the school district on whatever they're planning so if they're doing two days a week in school then your child will go to school for those two days a week so um for, for very young children it may be something as simple as a nanny share for older children who are of school age there might be a tutor or a teacher or some other person involved who you're going to bring on and pay to support your children's learning could be um, making sure your child stays focused on the Zoom calls and the curriculum-based work that's being set by your district, or it could be saying, we're still gonna stay enrolled in school for a variety of reasons, maybe related to social justice and making sure the child, the, the school gets funding, um, or we just wanna make sure our place is still there next year. Um, but we're going to kind of go our own path here. We're going to chart our own course, and, um, and we're forming this, this small pod of children, uh, and we're going to ha- have this be our social distancing bubble, and, uh, and this is how we're gonna support our children's learning. And I actually have a course as well to To help parents to see, okay, what what is a pandemic pod? How could it possibly work? How do we find other families? How do we identify somebody who can help support us? Um, What are the myriad of social justice considerations associated with this? And how do we move forward with this idea if it is something that can work with us?
0: That sounds amazing. And I'm definitely going to put those links for the, uh, both of those courses, the homeschool course and the pod course, in the show notes for people. uh, And I think that that is extremely helpful that you are doing that. Now, I want to speak on the blended family issue for a minute. And I don't know if you could really talk on this or not. But I know that some of my listeners are having trouble because there is a discrepancy where they might feel a certain way and the ex feels a different way. Like they might want to do homeschooling, but the ex says no or vice versa. Do you know what the legalities are on that, or have you seen any families, blended families struggle with that choice?
2: Yeah, I definitely have seen blended families struggle with that. Um, I also also host a membership for parents who, are, um, who have decided that interest-led learning and unschooling are for, is for them and for their child, and they want to support their children in that journey, but they kind of get stuck on the actual implementing of it. They need more support themselves. And I definitely have parents in that membership who are struggling with it. And I think that there are a variety of ways that it can go. Um, On an ideal basis, you might talk with your ex about um what you've learned about how children learn and and i can certainly point to resources on that um i I actually wrote a master's thesis on on the process that children's brains go through when they learn and and how interest-led learning supports that process the best um and so maybe they might be willing to say okay um i i'm on board with this and yes we're we're gonna we're gonna Follow interest-led learning, and that's going to be the way that we do it. Um, I've also seen families where uh, the non-custodial parent is really not on board with this, um, and and would prefer the child to be in school. and It's possible that you won't be able to come to an agreement. and I've definitely heard of cases where um, the because being out of school and unschooling and homeschooling is is a very different, non-traditional way of learning, that the uh, the judge will say, hey, you know, the way that my parents put me through school was the wrong way to to do that. And the expert on interest-led learning will say, well, this is a different way of doing it. And the judge will say, well, my parents weren't wrong, and, and so school isn't wrong, and so the child has to go to school. Um so there's there's definitely been uh that that sort of scenario happen as well and I think a middle ground that often ends up happening is that uh, the non custodial parent just wants to be sure that the child is making adequate progress. And and what that means to somebody who's homeschooling and maybe unschooling and so not following a curriculum can be very different from what it means to somebody who is going through school. You know, Unschooled children tend to go very deep on a topic and learn a lot about it. And they don't get that sort of peanut butter spread of uh, of a quarter inch deep of of many different topics. Um, But if we can maybe do a standardized test or submit a portfolio to a teacher and show that uh, adequate learning has taken place Place, then the um, the parent who is is not on board with the homeschooling or the unschooling may find that okay that's enough as long as long as somebody or some mechanism outside of our family is saying that my child is making adequate progress then I'm going to be okay with that and what actually happens on a daily basis with the custodial parent is uh, is you know I'm I'm going to kind of say hands off on that as long as that evidence is there
0: yeah that's interesting I know. It's very, well, I, w- I will say this for the listeners. If this sounds interesting to you at all, I would definitely give this to your ex to to share, to take a listen. And then definitely go to Jen's website where she's got tons and tons of information and courses on this to actually just, because this isn't something where many people are like, well, I just think we should do this. This is, Jen backs it up with evidence and research. So this is not like, just some basic, I think you should do this. She has everything there for you. And she even has help for you with whatever you decide to do, but it is a very hard decision. It is very much catered to the family. And, um, I, I know for me, I'm not even sure what I'm going to do because my daughter is, she, she used to want to do homeschool until she had to do homeschool. And then she hated it. She, she, now she's like, so now, so now she doesn't like being in school or out of school, right? Because that was- well, What did she hate about homeschooling? Um, what she didn't like was that there was no instruction and she doesn't learn that way. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but she didn't like going to school either. You know, she's she's 16 and you know what happens at that age. Sometimes mm. they're, just, they're, they're just,
2: they don't like a lot of different things. She's a good
0: kid. Yeah. So
2: she's just- well, they're- yeah. There are resources that can help you overcome that that sort of discrepancy. I mean, there's um Outschool is, a, is an amazing resource for homeschoolers um, where you can log on and, and there are courses offered on so many different topics, and you just pick whatever you're interested in. Um if, if she's interested in something completely random, maybe uh there's somebody somewhere teaching a course on it online. I mean, so much is available online now, or a community college course, or um there are so many ways of getting instruction and, and I, I think a key point to leave listeners with is that just because we're doing interest-led learning or unschooling doesn't mean we're never taking a class again doesn't mean we're never getting instruction again what it means is we're just dis- we're the one you know the child is the one who gets to decide am I interested in filmmaking or beer brewing <laughs> maybe maybe beer brewing is a bad example but um, kombucha brewing or, or whatever it is you know lemonade making um, I'm going to go super deep into this topic and I'm the one who gets to choose that and I'm going to go and take lessons on it. And so that's, that's the key distinction. So I I would say, you know, what is she interested in? What does she want to learn about? And then support her in, in, in finding resources that she can just go all in on and learn about that.
0: Yeah. I'm going to have to sit down and have a little chat with her before thing. We were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen, but I love what you said about having kids learn about something that they're interested in rather than A lot of the stuff that's thrown at our kids that we we know the truth of it is, is they're not life skills and many of the things they learn, they're never going to need again. Uh, But here's a question that I think a lot of people might be thinking right now is what happens with a degree or, you know, a diploma? What happens? How do you how do you do that with home based learning? If you're yeah, I should call it
2: um so for for the immediate future no nobody's really sure yet because we're still figuring out as we go um you know what's going to happen with high school graduations and and i would definitely stay close to the school district on that to find out what their plans are um, more broadly speaking from a from a homeschool perspective for somebody whose child is not graduating in the next year or two uh, there are a couple of main paths that children tend to go um, or actually three i can think of the first is that the homeschooled parent in many states can just write out a diploma for their child and say that their child has graduated the parent can even uh, produce a transcript and say what subjects the child studied and if they didn't do a form you know follow a traditional curriculum um, you can translate the work that they did if they were into fly fishing you know maybe they they formed a business to to sell the the flies and uh, well what did that translate to in terms of math and and business skills that we can put on a GPA you know attach a GPA to and so that in many states not in all states but in many states is how homeschooled children graduate um, another way is to pass the GED um, that does tend to have some stigma attached to it. Um, I, I didn't grow up in the US. So I'm, I don't, you know, I don't feel this, I don't have this association with it. But from what I've heard, um, the GED is sort of something associated with people who didn't get high school right the first time and went back to try again. Um, but that option is there. And a third option that works for many homeschoolers is because they get super deep into specific topics, they very often end up in community college classes before they are officially of age. And and parents can write to the director of the community college and say, hey, my 14-year-old is super interested, super motivated in this topic. Can they please attend? And chances are the college will say yes. Um, If your child can pass certain prerequisites and if they really want to take this class, they're probably going to then do the prerequisites. And um, at that point, you get a transcript, you get an official transcript, and you also start to develop relationships with the teachers at the community college that can give you uh, recommendations, which then form the backbone of any college or other application that you go on to submit.
0: That's great, okay, good. I'm glad that we covered that then because I can imagine that people were thinking about that. So I know that you have these courses, so I'm just gonna ask you, are there any tools for parents to make this whole entire process easier um and and when i say tools i mean any kind of tools aside from your courses we're going to talk about that again in just a moment but any other tools for parents that you re- recommend um to
2: to make what whole thing easier
0: to to make just the whole homeschooling process easier
2: um i mean i i think the big, the biggest thing is probably not a tool but is a mindset shift that's really a, a radical mindset shift i mean because the vast majority of us, myself included, went through school, we are just, I mean, we, it's so baked into us, the school mindset of wh- when we're supposed to be in school, what school is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to involve workbooks. You have to be sitting at a desk. Um, it has to be for a certain number of hours a day. And and overcoming those ideas about what learning needs to look like, I think, is is one of the hardest tasks of, um, of shifting toward interest-led learning. But If we can do that, if we can see that that is uh, one view of learning that may have worked for us, you know, I did pretty well in school, it worked well for me because I learned how to read a syllabus, I learned how to deliver what the teacher asked, I didn't learn as much about the actual subjects as I could have done um, because I was mostly focused on delivering what the teacher asked. But if we can make that shift, everything else gets easier because our children are motivated to learn things that are interested to them interesting to them. So you don't have to be the one standing over them saying, you've got to do six hours of schoolwork today, or you're not going to be able to get your screen time or whatever is the carrot and the stick that you're currently wielding to try and get your child to do this thing that they really don't want to do. So, so that (laughs) you're asking for things to make things easier. Uh, What I'm offering is something that is, is actually kind of hard in the the short term but it's something that's entirely in your head um, is shifting that perspective on what learning looks like and then after that the just a world of possibilities opens up.
0: I actually think that is a perfect answer. I love it very much. So we've certainly given parents a lot to think about today and I want you to just quickly talk about your other offerings. I know let's talk about your podcast first. Tell us about your podcast.
2: Yeah, so the Your Parenting Mojo podcast is mostly geared towards listeners of younger children, um, probably up to the age of elementary school, and in each episode, I really do a deep dive on what the research literature says about a particular topic, so I'm not just telling you, oh, growth mindset is important, and here are five ways to get growth mindset. I'm saying, okay, is growth mindset really something we should even pay attention to, and it's gotten so much press, and it turns out the research base is not as solid (laughs) as everybody makes it out to be. And so in every episode, we, we take a topic like that and say, okay, what do we really need to know about this? And how can we take that forward and make decisions about raising our children based on that?
0: Okay, that's wonderful. And you have, so you have your, the one course is the homeschool course to determine whether you think that is a right decision for you or not?
2: Yeah, um, I actually actually have a couple different versions of it um, and I can send you links to both of them. One is it it was originally designed as a course called uh, your homeschooling mojo, which was, you know, back back in the olden days <laughs> when we used to take a year or two to think through this decision, um, p- parents wanted all of the research, all of the information, you know, to to be able to go to their partner and say, let's have a conversation about this, and 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 a month later have a conversation with the in-laws, and and really just stew on it for a while and make sure that we were making the right decision. And so um, that one's still out there. But what I realize now is that parents just Parents, I mean, are making this decision in a weekend now. And so they don't have time to wade through all this research. They still want to know that the information is based on the research, but they want to binge watch, you know, Netflix style, a bunch of videos in an evening or two and say, okay, I, I mean, this is going to work for us for the next year. And so that's what the Confident Homeschooler course really does is, is to take that, uh, that really big research-based topic and turn it into something that parents can say, okay, I, I'm going to make this decision this weekend. That's
0: great. And I think a lot of people would appreciate that because we do need to make a decision rather quickly. We don't have the time to really wait and think things out. Okay. And you, I know you're, you have a future project that you're working on right now on racism. We didn't really have time to get into a racism discussion today, but I'll give you a moment to just talk about that
2: yeah so I mean (laughs) it's it's such an enormous topic and it pervades schools I mean the the way that schools are organized every single aspect of what happens within a school is uh, organized for the success of white students Uh, even though nobody's explicitly ever said this um, that that is the case it perpetuates white supremacy um, through the way that we uh, that we educate our children and so um, I I'm working on a new course to help parents understand and even even people who aren't parents yet uh, to say, okay, well, what is the social change we want to see in this world? What, what do we envision for this world? And if parenting is one of the most powerful ways that we have to make that change, um, how can we shift the way that we interact with our children to, um, to, to bring about this social change that we want to see? And so, yeah, that'll, that'll be coming down the pipe later this year.
0: Great. And you'll have to let us know when that is available. And I strongly encourage the listeners to check out everything that Jen has to offer. What is the best place for people to reach you?
2: Yeah, everything flows through yourparentingmojo.com. So uh, the courses and, and everything else, all the information um, that you need about all the um, the how to decide if homeschooling is right for you to how to form pandemic pods and and information about the new course when it's announced uh, will all, thru- all flow through yourparentingmojo.com.
0: Okay, perfect. And before we go, I definitely want you to just speak to my listeners for a minute and just give them some last advice, words of encouragement, for them as they navigate these these waters of homeschooling and schooling and coronavirus and everything else that we face right now with our kids
2: yeah i think the thing that i try and keep in mind is that in a way it matters less what our children are learning right now from an academic perspective a lot of things our children are learning is around what does it mean to be resilient? What does it mean to, to really hope for something and to have that thing not work out? Um, what does it mean to feel anxious about something and what are the tools that we have within our own bodies and and with talking with other people and working with other people to help us manage those feelings of anxiety and, and other things that may be going on in our bodies and in our minds um, and that the real crucial learning that's happening in this enormous period of uncertainty is how, how to do that how to have this emotional growth that's going to stand our children in good stead for the rest of their lives so I'm really seeing it as enough opportunity. opportunity to focus a lot less on anything that looks academically related and a lot more on relationships and, and the importance of those and, uh, and how those are going to support our children through the rest of their lives. Which
0: sounds a whole lot more pleasurable. So that's (laughs) (laughs) it is so much Jen for coming on the show and talking to us. You are a wealth of knowledge and I definitely could not have tackled this topic on my own. It would not have been as good. So I thank you so much for coming on.
2: You're so welcome, Melissa. Thanks for having me.
0: You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.